0: I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles. Um, We have four texts this evening, three of which are listed in your bulletin. Um, So I invite you to turn, first of all, to John 13 to start us off. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. This evening we're beginning a new sermon series, as I mentioned in the announcements this morning, uh, the One Another series. I'm very excited about this because... Um, as we look at these scriptures that tell us how to function, they, they, they tell us how to function as part of a body, how to function in the family of God. These these passages, and there's there's quite a number of them, I saw in a, I don't know if you've ever seen the book, Visual Theology by Tim Challies, and it had a, a visual representation of these based upon their frequency in scripture. I, I If I would have discovered it earlier in the week, I maybe could have uh, got permission and, and used it as a graphic, but I think it's helpful as we think about the frequency of these, and we're kicking it off tonight with this past, um, the topic of love one another, which is really the overarching uh, theme and, and um, the, the thing behind all of the others. Now, we are used to, you are used to um, sequential preaching through books, and when I have you turn from one text to another, I, I apologize in advance. That, that may seem a little strange to you because usually when the preacher gets up here, you know right where he's going. The, right, the next section of verses in John or the next section of verses in Galatians or, or Esther. But this evening we, um, and for the next several weeks... You'll you'll see a variety of of preachers here behind this desk and and a variety of passages. But you will see the biblical basis for how we are to function within the body of Christ. So let's first look at John. We're going to look at John, 1 John, 1 Peter, and Romans. But before we read our texts, plural, uh, let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us your word and Lord, as we come to it, we do it with a sense of, of solemnity and, and gratefulness, Lord, because it is your word and we're grateful for how it speaks to us today. Lord, and, and while it's an ancient word, Lord, is it, it is fresh, it is, it is for us. And Lord, it is living and active. And, and Lord, I pray that the sword of your word would cut out of our hearts, Lord, what, is, what needs to be removed. And Lord, that that we would be purified, that we would be sanctified, that we would be cleansed by your word. And Lord, that that you would speak by your spirit through your word tonight, not because of me, Lord, but because because of your word and what you've promised. And so Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. First of all, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Please turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I intentionally did not mark these texts in my Bible, so I gave, give you equal time to turn to them. Romans 12, and we'll read verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Our next text is 1 Peter 4.8, 1 Peter 4.8. which says this above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins and our final text from first john chapter 4 and verse 7 first john 4 7 beloved let us love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god Amen, and we praise God that He has spoken to us in His holy and inerrant word. We'll begin with the chapter from John, or the passage from John 13. So if you want to go back to that, listen to this account of solitude and desolation. I am cast upon a horrible, desolate island, void of all hope of recovery. I am singled out and separated as it were, from all the world to be miserable. I'm divided from mankind, a solitaire, one banished from human society. I have no soul to speak to or relieve me. Now, some of you may, may love literature and recognize those words from Robinson Crusoe. I, I, uh, I am, am not that, but, but I borrow that because I think that idea helps us realize what solitude does to us. That book, of course, was the story of a young man from England who was headstrong and he ignored his father's wishes to pursue the ministry. And instead, he pursued a life of adventure at sea. After some success as a sailor, he is soon shipwrecked on a mostly uninhabited island in the new and at that time unknown world. While he manages to be resourceful enough to build a house and a, and a boat, and eke out a life of survival he is plagued by the solitude that he encounters on this island if you've seen the more modern version of this the the movie castaway you might you, it might make more sense to you except he encountered cannibals and he didn't have a friendly volleyball named wilson in this uh, account of this, uh, this novel from 17, the 1700s, he encounters cannibals and many other dangers. And, and he's on this island for 28 years and finally is rescued. And despite the, the, the beautiful weather and, and the carefree life of, of island living that you might think he enjoyed, he was unhappy. And he was unhappy because of the solitude. He was, he was separated. He was banished from the quote we read. We see his, his desperation he was in solitude. He was, in a word, alone. And one reason that this story and others like it capture our attention and interest is that we know that we don't st- thrive in isolation. Now, I know some of you, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, Maybe be saying, look, I'm an introvert and I'm happy without people. Well, I think that statement needs some qualification, and we'll deal with that as we go along. But we are created for relationships. If you look in the first pages of Scripture, in the the creation account in Genesis, we see again and again that God created and he said it was good. And then God created man and he says for the first time, it is not good. Something is not good. And he said, it is not good that man would be alone. So he did something about that. He created Eve. So God has made us for community. He has made us for relationships. It's a, foundation, it's a foundational aspect of his design for us as his creation. And it's a foundational aspect for the church as well. God's design for the church and, and these, these one another passages and that speak to how we should live in relationships, this is not an afterthought. This is part of God's design for his people. God described the church in a variety of ways. And and I mentioned that and tried to highlight that in the song this evening, that, that we are a body, that we are a family. And both of those scriptural metaphors teach us about the interconnectedness of the body of Christ. A body depends on other parts of the body to function. A family must work in connection with one another. And scripture teaches us how we are to live in community. And one very good way to understand the various nuances of that is to look at these one another passages scattered throughout the New Testament. So this phrase, one another, it does not address a relationship to God or a relationship with ourselves, but it is addressing our relationship with one another within the body of Christ. It tells us how we are called how we are commanded to live in relationships in the body of Christ, how we are to function as healthy, growing members of the body of Christ in connection with one another. Now, this is a series, and, and I have no pattern before me because they gave me the first topic here. And, um, and so we're going to look at this under these four headings, and drawing on these four scriptures. Notice, first of all, that this is a command to love one another. And so all of these four points, if you're taking notes, have to do with the fact that it's a command. It's a comprehensive command, it's a competing command, and I'll explain that. It's a covering command, drawing from 1 Peter, the passage there, and it is finally and foremost, it's a Christ-like command. It's a comprehensive command, a competing command, a covering command. And it is a Christ-like command. I trust that you're not put off by the fact that I'm calling this a command. Because it is something that we are called to do. Some would try to make us believe that any sermon on love must have nothing to do with commands. But that's not what Jesus said. And that's not what I'm going to say either. Jesus said, as we read in in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus commands us to love. These words are written to his disciples, his followers, and we as modern day disciples and followers of Jesus are called to obey this command. And this love is a comprehensive command. And the reason I say that is because It is is foundational to understanding what God has called us to do. One commentator has said that love is the great commandment, the greatest commandment, the highest virtue, the mark of the believer, and the center of biblical ethics. And that is well said. Because when Jesus was asked, and this is in, in multiple gospel accounts, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? He said, it's love. It's first of all, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And really, he's saying this is one commandment with two parts. And really, love is the basis of all of the moral law. And if you get the first one right, loving God, then you'll get the second one right as well. 1 John 4 tells us plainly that Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. So if you love God wholeheartedly, as you should, you will naturally love those made in God's image. And especially those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let me ask you, does the Lord Jesus' summary of the Ten Commandments make it easier to love I think it makes it harder to love because he's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Every part of you must be involved in loving God. And then from that, love for God should be a love for neighbor that equals your love for self. Love is the common element in both parts of the Lord's answer. And his his, his qualification of that is all-encompassing. So let me ask you, do you love your neighbor? I'm not just asking, do you wish them well? And you might say, well, I, I hope the best for my neighbor. But, but do you really love your neighbor as yourself? That's a bit harder. And Jesus goes for the heart as he always does. He's exposing us for what we are. And he gives a complete picture of what love really looks like. It's a comprehensive command. And just as Jesus taught that loving people properly, I'm sorry, loving God properly and loving your neighbor as yourself comprehended all the other commandments. So this command to love one another, really it's the overarching command of all of the other one another passages. Because it is as we love that we're able to forgive. It's as we love that we're able to encourage one another. It's as we love Are we able then to stir up one another to love and good deeds? In Galatians 5.13, we're called to serve one another. We'll hear a sermon on that in a few weeks. He called his readers, uh, Paul calls his readers and he says, through love, serve one another. In other words, love is the foundation for everything else. For all of these other passages, love is, is really what goes around all of them. It's a comprehensive command. Secondly, this command is a competing command. Now, that may sound strange initially, but let me explain. If we love something or someone supremely, then we have to love something or something or other things less. Okay? Love means that we love one thing more than another. I'm not saying that we cannot love God and love one another because that's what Jesus commanded. But I'm saying that loving God properly means loving other things less and loving your neighbor as yourself means sometimes loving it. It it sets your priorities right. It means that you can't have too much self-love to love God. The love to which God calls us as members of his family, it's competing. It competes with our other loves, chiefly our love of self. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So to a degree, uh, there's a degree of self-love and self-preservation that's expected. However, loving others will often involve putting other, others' needs before our own. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And 1 Corinthians 13 really gives us a radical description of what love is. And I say it's radical because it's often hard to live up to. When we read how the Apostle Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13, we have to recognize that it flies in the face of our self-centered ways. Listen to this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is not easy to love in that way. That means you are gracious, you are generous, you are considerate, you are humble, you are willing to let others be seen, you are one who listens. You are polite, you are gentle, you are not irritable or overbearing, you're not one that keeps score, you're one who is long-suffering. All of those things are comprehended in that description of love that the apostle gives us here. And really, it calls us to live outside of ourselves. It, it calls us to, to set our own interests and desires aside and love each other in a selfless way. We are to consider others. But Romans 12.10 calls us to another kind of competition. I love how that passage calls us to love. It says, to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Sound competitive? To outdo one another? That's really the the essence of competition, is to be better than someone else. To, to be faster or to be stronger or to, to win the race. But that's really not the kind of competition that, that I want you to have in your mind because that's putting someone else down. What the Apostle is calling us to is that, that we are to lead in loving. We are to lead in honoring one another. So how do you do that? Well, you take the first step. You don't wait to do good. You don't wait to show kindness. You don't keep score about how many times you've been shown kindness or or how many times that you've shown kindness to someone else. If there's a strain in your relationship, you seek to remedy that strain, even if you feel confident that you haven't done any wrong. You seek the good of others. Galatians 6.10 tells us, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This command to love competes with our love of self, but it also calls us to lead in loving one another. Thirdly, looking at 1 Peter 4.8, this is a covering command, and I draw that right from the the passage we read in 1 Peter 4.8. I'll see if I can find that once again. Here, Peter has spoken about how we should live in light of the coming judgment. How we, and, and he said that we should be self-controlled and sober-minded. And he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Really, love is the, the granddaddy command, if, you would, if, you, if we could say that. It's, it's above all things, as Peter says here in his epistle. It's the most important thing to love. Well, why why is it foremost? Well, because we're a family of sinners. and, And we have been shown God's grace and we're called to reflect that grace to one another. We are sinners who offend and who take offense sometimes when no offense is intended. We're sinners who've been shown God's grace and we need to show that to others. And we are to love. How are we to love? Peter tells us to love earnestly. That, that, I, I, love that, I love that word. It, it means eagerly and with great desire, with, with fixed attention. If you're earnest about loving others, you give it your full attention. It's not a half-hearted effort. It takes Sometimes it does take focus to love one another well. It's a love that persists despite difficulties, one commentator said. We must love earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Now, what does Peter mean by that? Now, he's not making a theological statement about how, our, how God deals with our sin. We know that, that God is holy and righteous and just, and our sin is an offense against him, and there is a penalty that must be paid for sin. And If you are in Christ tonight, you know that Christ has fully paid the penalty of your sins by his suffering, by his perfect life and his sacrificial death upon the cross. If you are outside of Christ, I invite you to contemplate these things and and recognize that there is no hope outside of trusting in Christ for salvation. So Peter is not talking about how sin is dealt with, that is clear through other parts of Scripture. He's talking here about our relationships. He's he's not talking about how sin is dealt with in the church. It's not saying we just cover up or paper over sin. No, sin is to be dealt with. It must be exposed and, and dealt with within the church. But what Peter is saying here is probably a reference to Proverbs 10, verse 12, which says, hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all offenses. And as the, 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 the book of Proverbs does in so many places, in so many ways, it puts these two things in opposition with each other. Hatred <clears throat> stirs up strife, but love covers all, offense, all offenses. So a love that covers offenses is, uh, is opposite of the action that stirs up strife. So think about that. Do your actions do your way of loving one another stir up strife or does it cover offenses those two are put in opposition with each other one commentator has said that a love that covers a multitude of sin is a forbearance that does not let wrongs done within the christian community come to their fullest expression in other words we seek to think the best of others Unless we have evidence of the contrary, we assume that they mean well. We are a family, and families love one another. They care for one another. They seek the best for one another. Where love abounds, offenses are easily overlooked. Let me me just say here that I recognize that not everyone is easy to love. Uh, The apostle said in another place, As much as possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. I remember my grandmother telling me the story of her sister at their stepmother's uh, auction, I believe it was when they were in the process of settling the estate and 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 so often when it, when it comes to the settling of an estate, it seems like it brings out the worst in people and it <clears throat> that seemed to be true in my my great aunt's uh, situation because my grandma kind of chuckled about the fact that at the auction for my my great step-great-grandmother, I guess she was, but, but somebody asked my grandma, said, who is that lady that's carrying on and is so unpleasant? And she said, oh, that's just my sister. And so she was, she was not afraid to recognize that she was a lady that was hard to love. And sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ are hard to love, but that doesn't excuse us from trying. That doesn't excuse us from recognizing that they are someone who has been redeemed by Christ's blood. Now, they say that that, the, that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and that is really true. We are really, all of us here, everybody in the body of Christ, stand on the same footing. We're all sinners, redeemed by God's grace. And we need to see one another in those terms. And we need to love one another in those terms, because if If Christ has died for someone, shouldn't you love them? If Christ loves someone, shouldn't we love them? That doesn't mean it's easy, but we're called to do that. We're called to love one another. And the scripture helps us see that love covers a multitude of sins. Finally, we want to see that this command is a Christ-like command. We must consider that our ability to love one another is only possible because of the love that we have been shown in Christ. Christ is both the pattern and the power of our love. If we turn back, and I, I know I'm, I apologize, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you all over the Bible here. That, but, and so if you don't want to turn to, to um, John 13, you don't have to. But, but you know the account of when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And and really, that was the background of when Jesus gave this command that we read to start this all off. When Jesus said, the new commandment I give you, to love one another as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. How does Jesus love? Well, certainly in some ways, we can't love as Jesus loved because Jesus shed his blood. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died for sinners. And we're not called to do that, of course, but we are called to follow his example. And what did Jesus do? He, he set aside his outer garments. He, he took up a basin. He took up the towel. He went around to these disciples with their filthy feet, and he washed their feet. He knelt down, and he washed their feet. Jesus gives us the pattern Jesus loved humbly. He was a servant. He placed the needs of others before his own. Mark 10, starting in verse 43, he said... He's again speaking to the disciples after James and John had talked about about being in a place of, 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 of preeminence in his kingdom. And he said, "...whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we love others by serving them. We love by taking Christ as our pattern. And Jesus was showing us a lesson that that we need to to get deep in our our souls and in our minds. Jesus was a host. What's the difference between a host and a guest? When you're a guest in someone's home, you are served. You are the, the person that is honored. But what did Jesus do? He was a host to them. He took up the basin. He took up the towel. He served them. He got down on the floor in front of them. And he considered their needs. And he met their needs. Jesus was a host. So we are to love as Jesus loved. Following his pattern. But as we've said, it's not always easy. And we do it because of the power of that Christ has provided for us. And that power comes from our connection to and our inviting in Christ. If we were to turn the pages over to John 15, we would see where Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things that I I command you so that you will love one another. There's that phrase again. So how does the fruit grow? How does does the vine grow? How does the vine produce fruit? It's only as it abides in the vine. Of course, uh, John 15 is all about that, where he says in verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And then skipping down to verses 9 and 10, he said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And it's only as we abide in Christ's love that we have the ability and the desire to love one another as Christ has shown us. God is love, and love is from God. Whoever has been born of God knows god so let me ask you christ church do we love in this way do we love in this sacrificial way we do we recognize that this is really what we're called to do and and this is a comprehensive command that calls us this is this is how we function in the body of christ do we know this kind of love Let me say, and I say this with love for all of you, if your love for one another is lacking, perhaps it's because you are not abiding in the vine. Because it is only as we abide in Christ, it is only as we are connected to him, it is only as we are receiving spiritual nourishment from his word that we can fulfill these commands to love one another. God has called us. He's shown us, He's equipped us, He's commanded us to love one another. This is the, the overarching command of the one another passages. All are included in and empowered by this one. The command to love is, is really based upon Christ's summary of the moral law, of the Ten Commandments, to love God supremely and to love one another as we love ourselves. Loving rightly means that we love sacrificially that we're willing to step over others' wrongs, others' shortcomings. and We can only love one another as we abide in Christ. So let me ask you, are you in him this evening? Do you know him as your Savior and Lord? If you do not, I invite you to come to Christ today. Trust in him and him alone for salvation, for apart from him there is no hope. And it is only as we abide in him that we can love one another. Let us pray.